Okay, everybody's awake. Amen. Amen. <laughs> good to be with you this morning. Man, you sound great. Uh, good to have those of you joining us online. You know, if you're at home right now and you're wondering if it's time to come back, you ought to be sitting in the auditorium today. Um, singing's great. Uh, encouragement. Appreciate Daryl's message uh, as he led us in, in, around the table. Uh, it is good to be together. Nice to have us uh, in a room together. If you're, if you're in here this morning and you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us as well. You know, I have lived long enough to have gained a little bit of perspective on life. I have lived long enough to learn uh, some things that I, I didn't know I didn't know. I, I've learned that uh, I've lived long enough that I've learned that I was really wrong about some things that I was pretty sure that I did know. It was Benjamin Franklin who said, a long life might not be good enough, but a good life is long enough. And he's right. You know, we all want a good life. And we all have kind of an idea in our minds of what that good life should look like. We have a sense of of what a good life would be. And for most people... The good life that we dream about is the life that we want for ourselves. It's the life that that, that we we think we deserve, or maybe it's the life that we used to have. You know, I I see things on social media posted by people my age that say things like, my generation grew up respecting our elders. We we came home when the streetlights came on. We drank from a garden hose. We stood for the Pledge of Allegiance. We said, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. We, we respected the flag. And I always look at those and I think, wait a minute. You grew up in the 60s. <laughs> you were the definition of counterculture. You hated authority when you were young. Come on. It was your parents who thought you were spoiled and entitled and you were going to ruin America. Come on. In fact, I think if you had a time machine, one of the most fun things you could do, go back to Woodstock, grab the mic, and tell all the baby boomers how they were going to turn out one day. No one would believe you, right? And I say all that to remind us that, that most all of us, we believe we're right about most things. We just have a sense that, that we believe that we're right in the things that we do the way we live our lives, we think it's right. And that's not a knock on anybody because we make decisions. We make decisions that we think are right and we live by those decisions. You know, the problem comes when, when people suggest to us maybe we're not right. The problem comes when someone gives us some new information and then we have to kind of decide what are we going to do with that new information? How are we going to respond to someone who is challenging us when we're so sure that we're right. And pretty often our response is much like my favorite cartoon character. I haven't quoted him in a while, but it's, it's time. Um, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Here's what Calvin says. He's talking to Hobbes. I don't care about issues. I got better things to do than to argue with every wrong-headed crackpot with an ignorant opinion. I'm a busy man. <laughs> Did someone just say amen? Okay. <laughs> And Irene is owning up to it. Okay. (laughs) I say either agree with me or take a hike. I'm right. 
Period. End of discussion. And then he says to Hobbes, I tell you, Hobbes, it's great to have a friend who appreciates an earnest discussion of ideas. <laughs> there you go. Here's the thing. It is human nature to resist things that we can't control or don't understand. It just is. It is human nature for us to push back on things that we just have very little control over or things that we just can't understand. And again, it has been for centuries. I think it's true of all of us. We want to be open-minded. And, and we kind of pride ourselves in being open-minded. But at the same time, we want to make sense of the world. And we want the world to make sense to us. So we all adopt kind of a worldview. And maybe God's a part of our worldview, or, or maybe He's not. But we have a sense of how things should be. And usually we think things should be like we think things should be. Like Calvin, I'm right. Period. End of discussion. It's human nature to resist things that we can't control or don't understand. Most people resist change. Most people resist hearing new ideas. And that's why most people like will get all their news from one source and one source only. And another group of people will get their news from another source and just that source. And they don't want to listen to any other source of news because they're going to have to be challenged with some other idea. And they just want to get their information from people who they're convinced are right. Because we're all convinced that we're right. We resist new ideas. We resist change. Especially, especially when it conflicts with something that is old and comfortable. More on that in a minute. We've been talking about those first century Christians, those followers of Jesus, some of the things they were devoted to. And for the last, oh man, several weeks, we have been talking about the fact that those first Jesus followers were devoted to prayer. And I started this series way back several weeks ago looking at a specific prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians when he prayed that God would give those people a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know Him better. And Paul's prayer was that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. And then we spent the last month looking at what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' response to the disciples when they asked Him, would you teach us how to pray? And I've mentioned several times in the past few weeks that all of us pray. You know, if you're here worshiping God on a Sunday morning, you probably have grown up or at least spent a lot of time in prayer. And while everything else about us matures, and while everything else about us grows up, quite often our prayers don't really grow up. Quite often our prayers don't change very much. Now we pray the same way that we did five years ago or, or 25 years ago. And maybe you've never really thought about this before, but have you ever considered, if my prayers haven't changed, if my prayer life hasn't changed, maybe my view of God hasn't changed very much in the past five years or 25 years. I mean, if you want to know what your view of God is, if you want an honest assessment of how you view God, just take a look at your prayers. Because the way you pray says an awful lot about your view of God. And I've mentioned this, uh, you know, a few times. You know, we have a, the habit of kind of reducing our Heavenly Father down into just a, a Mr. Clean. 
Just come clean up my mess and I hope you have a really short memory. Or we reduce our Heavenly Father to a lifeguard that we hope will come running when we're drowning, when we're in over our heads. We hope he comes and saves us, but then we hope he leaves us alone while we're having fun. Now, our prayers so oftentimes kind of get reduced to forgive and give. Forgive me and give me. You know, so much, so much of the time, our, our, our prayers are just about our wants, needs, and desires. Or the wants, needs, and desires of people we love, but mostly our wants, needs, and desires. Then along comes Jesus. And Jesus says, pray like this. And, and just in the same way as our prayers kind of give us an insight to our view of God, listen to how Jesus prays. You want to know how Jesus viewed his heavenly Father? Listen to his prayers, which is what we've done for the past month. And I told you last week that I wanted to bookend the Lord's Prayer with that prayer in, in Ephesians that Paul prayed about the eyes of our hearts being enlightened with another prayer, and I'm going to get to that this morning. Um, it's a prayer that uh, you might not even consider to be a prayer, kind of from an unlikely source, but it goes back to the statement that I made that it's human nature to resist things that we can't control or don't understand. You know, that's why so many people resisted Jesus. When you think about it, uh, just about everybody who knew Jesus to some extent misunderstood him even though they were sure they had him figured out. Everybody was sure they had Jesus figured out. But everybody, to a certain extent, misunderstood Jesus. That's why Judas you know, uh, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. That's why Peter denied that he knew him. That's why those 11 apostles kind of ran for their lives when the going got tough. They go from followers to fleers. That's why the Pharisees hated him. That's why the Romans were aggravated with him. Everybody thought they had Jesus figured out. But nobody had Jesus figured out. Everybody had some unlearning to do. There were things about Jesus they didn't understand. In fact, Luke tells us about Jesus heading to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's on his way to the cross. And, and Jesus is going to spell it out for his followers again, just what's going on. This is out of Luke 18. Gathering the twelve disciples around him, Jesus told them, As you know, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we get there, all the predictions of the ancient prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. Jesus tells his followers, Listen, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we get to Jerusalem, all the predictions, all the prophecies are going to come true. Okay, that's pretty exciting. Or not. Um, he will, Jesus talking about himself, he will be handed over to the Romans to be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will whip him and kill him. Jesus says, I'm about to be handed over to Rome. I'm about to be mocked, treated shamefully, spit upon, beat, killed. Any questions? But on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus tells his disciples this, and you would think that the disciples would say, then let's not go to Jerusalem. You would think the disciples would say, well then, you go to Jerusalem, we'll catch up with you. 
Or if nothing else, you would think they would at least say, wait a minute, what? Now rewind that just a minute. What, what, what did you just say? But they don't say any of that. And I'll allow Luke to tell us and explain to us why they don't say any of that. But they didn't understand a thing he said. Its significance was hidden from them. And they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Interesting. And there's been a lot of conversation about what exactly is going on here. But here's what's, here's what's really clear. Jesus is really clear. He's not speaking in riddles. He didn't just tell him a really difficult parable. He's speaking really plainly. He's speaking very clearly to these people. I think the problem was these disciples, their pre- preconceived notion of the Messiah, what they were sure they knew, was getting in the way of allowing them to hear what Jesus was really saying. They didn't hear what Jesus was saying. They couldn't see what Jesus was doing because they were convinced they already knew. Don't be too hard on these men, though. For all their lives, these men and these women, they were told, they were taught exactly what the Messiah would look like when He showed up. And they were told and they were taught their entire life what the Messiah would do how things would look, how things would be when the Messiah finally gets here. And Jesus doesn't really look like that. And Jesus isn't really doing the things that they were convinced that the Messiah was going to do. And the kingdom that he's talking about doesn't exactly line up with the kingdom that they have in their head. So all those things make it impossible for them to hear what Jesus is saying. You know, their experiences, their prejudices, their traditions... Their limited understanding made it almost impossible for them to see what God was up to. They thought they knew, but they didn't know. They were convinced they knew. They were convinced that they got it. They didn't get it. Which, 2,000 years later, ought to give us a little bit of a reality check. If nothing else, it ought to give us a a pretty big dose of humility. It does me. You know, it ought to kind of get rid of any any temptation for us to respond like Calvin. I'm right, period. Get over it. It should cause us all to kind of ask ourselves, what might we have missed? When it comes to Jesus, what might we have misunderstood? What do we think that we know that that maybe we don't know. I mean, who are we to, to assume that we have it all figured out? Those men and those women, they, they spent a lot of time with Jesus. And they certainly missed some things about Jesus. Now, I only know what I know. There's a lot I don't know. I only see what I see. And it's possible there's a lot more to see. I, I'll borrow a, a well-known uh, statement from a prophet Prophet Micah in Micah 6. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that same thought is highlighted in every single one of the New Testament writers, including Jesus. 
They're going to remind us to, to walk humbly with our God. I'll share a story with you that you're familiar with. It, it highlights a man who, who showed no humility, and he's kind of paired with a woman who shows great humility. It's in Luke chapter 7. Most of you are familiar with the story. A, a Pharisee by the name of Simon invites Jesus into his home. And while this man is having dinner with the Son of God, uh, a woman shows up, a woman who the temple leaders identify as a sinful woman. And somehow this woman makes it to the feet of Jesus, and she would like to, to wash Jesus' feet, but there's no water. So she uses her own tears to wet Jesus' feet, and she would like to dry his feet, but there are no towels. So she uses her own hair to dry Jesus' feet. She kisses Jesus' feet. She anoints his feet with oil, and the whole time Jesus doesn't say a word about any of it. Simon, Jesus' host, sitting across the table, again, from the Son of God, and Simon thinks to himself, which is always a dangerous thing to do when you're with Jesus, but Simon thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, translation, if he knew what I know, if this man really were a prophet, he would know what I know. He would know what kind of woman it is who's touching him. But he can't be from God, because he doesn't know even what I know. And then Jesus proceeds to do kind of the Jesus thing, right? He tells a parable, and at the end of the parable, Jesus says, Simon, this woman, she sees things that you don't see. This woman, she understands things that you don't understand. This woman sees things that you have refused to see. You can't see past your flawed understanding. You can't see past your self-righteousness. Simon, your pride has locked you in. And it has locked me out. But this woman, this woman, she's able to see past her failures. She's able to see past her limitations. She's able to see past her own sin. She, she sees me. Then Jesus turns to the woman and, and he says the thing that nobody can say. Your sins are forgiven. And the reaction by Simon, the reaction by the guests sort of underscores their inability to see who is sitting with them. And so they ask the question that I hope everyone asks at some point in their lives. Who is this who even forgives sins? The question they ask, who is this that even forgives sins? I'm telling you, it's a great question. In fact, it's really the question. Who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this guy that is named Jesus? And they didn't know. People at that meal, they didn't know. But the, but the woman did. They didn't recognize Jesus. But she did. And the question for us is, do we? We are so quick to judge those narrow-minded ancient people. But we shouldn't be. You know, the inability to, to see and to, to understand 
while in the presence of Jesus. We see that in Scripture. That, that should give us a great deal of humility ourselves. Again, who are we to think that, that we have it all figured out? And that we have nothing to learn? You know, the more we learn, the more we realize we have so much more to learn. And so we read and we study and we pray and we trust God to lead us. And we trust God to teach us. And we trust God to change us and to transform us. To allow us to see Him better. Okay, I've just spent 20 minutes on an introduction. Haven't yet got to the prayer that I promised. You're probably wondering, how long is this sermon going to be? Trust me, I'm a professional. <laughs> it's a short prayer. Okay. But it's a good prayer. It's a short prayer that I think ought to be part of our prayer life. It's a prayer that you find several versions of in Scripture. There's a version in the Psalms. There's a version in several of the Old Testament writers. I'm going to focus on a version that is prayed by a man named Bartimaeus. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 18. Mark also records this same encounter, but here's Luke's account of it. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man sitting by the road... As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. It's Mark's account who tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And Bartimaeus understands pretty quickly, this is my one shot. It's like the chance of a lifetime here. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This guy's pride has gone right out the window, whatever pride he might have had. He's not going to worry about that now. He's got an opportunity here. And I love what happens next. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the cross. He's on the way to keep the, the appointment, his appointment, the, like the, the most important appointment in the history of appointments. But he's got a date with destiny. But he stops. He stops and gives his undivided attention to some guy who won't be quiet. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Which, on the surface, sounds a little bit insensitive. But I think Jesus is being very intentional here. It means a strange question for a miracle worker to ask of a blind man. What do you want me to do for you? But maybe Jesus asked the question for the benefit of those people around him. Maybe he asked the question for our benefit as we look at this story. So what follows is Bartimaeus' prayer. And again, you might not recognize it as a prayer, but isn't a prayer just conversation, right? Here's the prayer. Lord, I want to see. That is Bartimaeus' prayer. I want to see. What a great prayer. I want to see. Do you want to see? Do you want to see things that you can't see right now? Even if it means letting go of some things that you were so sure you were right about. Do you want to see some things that, that you can't see? Even if 
It means letting go of some of those assumptions that we have had all of our lives. I mean, you want to be right or do you want to feel right? Do you want to see? Because I'm going to tell you, most people don't. Jesus replied to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. And this is so great, because immediately Bartimaeus does what those who couldn't see past their traditions and past their wealth and past their reputations and their, their perfect theology, immediately he does what they're unwilling to do. Immediately, he received his sight and he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. And this man saw what we would all long to be able to go back and see. He followed Jesus praising God, and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. That's the prayer. Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Now, do not pray that prayer unless you mean it. Because praying that prayer uh, comes with a cost. Praying that prayer can be very challenging. Praying that prayer can be a little bit terrifying as well. It usually demands something of us. Compassion. Forgiveness. Humility, for sure. Restoration. Admitting we're wrong. But the alternative is to walk in the dark. Or, Or worse yet, completely miss Jesus or... Or misunderstand Jesus. You know, we've talked all through this series that, that prayer isn't about imposing our will on God, but aligning our will with that of God. And that alignment becomes so much easier when we are able to see the world like Jesus sees the world. And we're able to see people in the world like Jesus sees people in the world. It's a great prayer. Lord, I want to see Help me see my family the way you see my family. Help me see my friends the way you see my friends. Help me see my enemies the way you see my enemies. Lord, would you help me see the lost like you see the lost? Would you help me see this situation, this this catastrophe, this opportunity? Would you help me see that the way you see it? Lord, I want to see. And then I want to respond in a way that honors you. I want to see past my limitations, past my prejudices, my assumptions, my failures. I want to see past my sin. I want to see. It's human nature to resist things we can't control or don't understand. It's human nature to want to hold on to what's comfortable. But following Jesus requires following. It requires doing something. It requires movement, growth, maturing. It requires a burning desire to see. So my challenge today is, let's put our pride aside. Let's put all of our assumptions about what we're just sure we know we know Let's ask Jesus to open our eyes. Let's ask God that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. 
that we would know Him better. And let's continue to grow and mature as God continues to teach and to lead. Let's close with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge You and we praise You as the one true God. Father, may the things that bring You joy bring us joy. May the things that break Your heart break our heart as well. Would You allow us to see the world the way You see it? Would You allow us to see people in the world the way You see them? And then would You give us the courage to respond like Jesus? Lord, we want to see. That's our prayer. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Dave's got a song he's going to use as a song of encouragement. If you're online, uh, there's a link where you can get in touch with us. And we would love to be praying with you and for you. If you're in the auditorium this morning, there'll be some people at the front of the, audi- uh, the auditorium. And you can meet us here. And uh, if you've got something on your heart that you would like your church family to be praying about, we would be honored to do that as well. Let's be standing.